to get the best out of everyone, you can't be everybody's buddy. You, you can't be everybody's friend. We all have the capacity to be a leader. You have to be run by ideas, not hierarchy. The best ideas have to win. That leadership is the art of getting people to want to do what must be done. This is the Cloud Leaders Podcast. On this show, I aim to talk to real people who lead real teams to accomplish real goals. No influencers speak, no fake inspirational speeches, just real, practical conversations around what it takes to be a successful leader in today's complex world of information technology management. Let's get after it. All right, welcome to, this is the third in this series of interviews that I'm doing to uh, help myself and hopefully others learn what it takes to be leaders in this weird world we find ourselves in. Today I have with me the distinguished Rob Danio. Rob, how are you? I'm well, Britton. How are you today? I'm doing all right. I mean, it's, you know, the sun is shining. It's 60-some degrees in Indianapolis area here, and I still have not cut my grass once, so I'm, I'm happy about that. Well, good man. Spring is in the air. <laughs> All my other neighbors have started to cut their grass, and so far I'm that neighbor who's putting it off as yeah, long as I'm, possible. I'm going to hold off myself uh, yeah. for another couple of weeks. <laughs> Rob, uh, give me like a quick 60-second introduction to who you are and uh, how, you, uh, how you find yourself where you are today. Sure. Thank you. And again, uh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so Rob Daniel, uh, currently I work for VMware and I am the U.S. Director for Networking and Security Specialty Sales, um, specifically focused on healthcare across the U.S. So all of the large tier one and tier two providers, um, as well as all the uh, uh, large tier one and tier two payers, uh, insurance companies, so to speak. And I've uh, been doing this job uh, as their director for five years now and manage a direct team of specialists that, that really help our customers um, try to figure out their, their digital and cloud journeys as they uh, try to focus on digital transformation and solving big problems that, um, that they need help solving. So it's, uh, it's been a heck of a journey and I've really enjoyed it. Uh, and I would say management uh, is a passion of mine. I've been doing it for, uh, geez, close to 20 years now. Wow. And it's been, it's been great. It's been super fulfilling. Uh, I've met some of the most wonderful, smartest, kindest people on the planet that I've enjoyed working with, uh, enjoyed working for, uh, enjoyed managing, coaching, leading on my team. And uh, it's been an incredible journey. I've, 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 really, I've really enjoyed it. It's been tech the whole time. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell you how long I've been in the business, uh, Britain, but it was <laughs> before this, this really cool thing called the internet was real. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, albeit I've worked for some amazing companies, Cisco, uh, Force 10, Brocade, some, some large companies like that. Um, I've gone down the startup path, uh, you know, series A, series B, series C companies, you know, where you're kind of the chief cook and bottle washer. Mm -hmm. um, and th that's been fascinating as well. Uh, so many, many ends of the spectrum. 
and uh, and I've enjoyed every every piece of it, uh, you know, which has kind of led me to really where I am today. And um, you know, I, I've been thankful for that. Well, yeah, and yeah, and I have to say too, thanks to you, Rob, because you were part of probably the half a dozen people that pre-interviewed me before I joined VMware. So, you know, I, without you being part of that, you would I wouldn't be you know in this position that I'm at today, and I'm approaching four years myself at VMware. Um, so it's, I do remember um, that. I, yeah. I remember the journey. I remember us speaking for the first time, and um, yeah. You know, and I think the second and even third time, um, and there was a lot of candidates in that role. And uh, they they say the cream rises to the top, so to speak. So um, <laughs> I'm glad you, I'm glad you said yes to the offer because uh, yeah. you've been a heck of a contributor to the team. Appreciate it. Well, as as all things continue to move on here, um, I'm trying to learn about this idea of leadership and leadership in an IT enterprise context and how this all works together. And I know that everybody's kind of got a little bit of their own nuance and way that they do things. And, you know, prior to talking to you, I, I just talked to Kirk Adams um, and kind of get his take on some of the stuff and, and everybody, you know, and, and he's, he's, he's got that, that, that thing where he, he delves, delves, dives into kind of a lot of the, you know, PhD level leadership content. And he's always trying to find you know, the, the quotes and the stuff that motivate people and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, wh where do you see yourself on the spectrum of trying to lead, pe lead people and lead teams? Do you find yourself as, as more of the, you know, trying to constantly motivate people? Or do you find that you're more of the s support kind of, almost like from a coaching standpoint, like a, in a sport, do you find yourself kind of giving pointers and advice? You know, where do you see the majority of, of your leadership style landing, I guess, in, in terms of a opening sure. question? Sure. Uh, I, I think it's a combination of both, actually, uh, with especially in technology. There's many pressures that come with being first and even second line leaders, specifically first line leaders, I think, have the ability to have a significant impact, you know, on things that are critical, pipeline, revenue, sustainable revenue, you know, things that build a good company and a great company over time. But I think the, I think the combination of both uh, doing and, and lending a hand and so far as uh, motivation, coaching both, you know, formal and informal coaching, being able to lead when things are tough, uh, and being able to lead when things are good, because being a leader in those areas are different. Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of taking your foot off the gas a little bit when you know that you've got the right people doing the right jobs and giving them the autonomy uh, to allow them to do their jobs effectively. Um, and, you know, I, I like to surround myself whether it's a small team, a medium team, large team, I like to surround myself with people that have, you know, gone down the road before and have the experience to know that they, they were all doing this for a common goal. And I don't need to worry that they're, they have the nicest lawn in the neighborhood, right? I don't need to worry that they're, they're messing around during the day. They're, they're focused on what they're doing and their goal at hand, and that's to drive the business. You know, 
the cliche is don't be a micromanager if you're a first line manager, but in some cases you have to be. Mm-hmm. But in other cases, you really need to take your foot off the gas a little bit and just let let the let them go do their job because they're senior enough to know that they have a job at hand and um, the the goal is to is to build the business a sustainable business over time and you can't do that by by messing around all day long. So I, I think it's a little bit of a, a little bit of both. That to me has always been a, an interesting side of it. I don't know if I've played this clip on the show yet or not, but there's a, a clip of Simon Sinek where he's talking about how, you know, yeah, the reason that you have managers who become micromanagers is because they were really good at their job and then they got promoted, Yep. you know, and now, now because they were really good at doing this one thing, now they feel like they have to make everybody do this one thing just as good as they were. And it's, and it kind of has this kickback effect where all of a sudden now the, the team that you're leading, because you're trying to get them to do these little tiny things that you see and have worked for you it all, all of a sudden it makes them feel like yeah this they they have no autonomy in how they handle their own business and affairs it's it's got to be really challenging to kind of like see somebody like and, and, and almost like watch them walk into a wall if you are you know <laughs> like you, that's like, right how do you kind of like let people fail far enough but not let them go so far that they end up really causing problems well, management is a, um, it's like, a, I liken it to an elastic band. Right? You, 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 you can stretch the band so far before it snaps and you can push people so far before they won't do what's right for themselves and the team and the company and, you know, uh, the customer. Uh, so there's a happy medium in there and, you want to make sure that you don't step it's you're you want you can tiptoe on both sides of the line uh but you don't want to stretch that band too far so to speak mm-hmm. uh to where you're pushing somebody to do something that you think might be right uh because it was right for you uh but you but it's not right for maybe the si- certain situation or for the piece of business that you're trying to close or for the customer so you got to have some flexibility in there. And that's really the key to continuing to motivate people over time is to give them enough autonomy to where you don't want them to fail for sure, but you have to give them enough autonomy to learn their mistakes along the way so they can correct them. And when the time comes the next time that they don't fall into the same situation again and they, you know, they do the right thing, so to speak, where you know, they, they might've made a decision where, you know, it went South versus, versus going North. So it's, it's always been a, it's been the rubber band effect. You kind of need to straggle, straddle the line. There's some formal coaching, informal coaching, and then give them enough autonomy to let them succeed on, on their own by the decisions that they make. I I feel like Rob, because when I, when I, when you said yes to this interview, Rob, I got really excited for a couple of reasons. One, you know, I'm a late blooming hockey fan. My mother, my mother was Canadian, and I feel like if I had grown up closer to my Canadian roots, I probably would have been a hockey player as a kid. Bienvenue. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I know you you are you know out in Boston there you are a hockey player still, correct? How many how many years have you been playing? Well, uh, I had my first pair of skates on when I was three. Oh my gosh. Uh, so it's been uh, it's been fifty plus years, and I still love it, and it's in my blood, and I can't I can't get it out. So I'm All gonna right. keep on doing it until Mother Nature tells me that I can't. 
So, so if this is why I felt like it would have been a mistake for me to have this conversation with you and not include hockey in the conversation. So, well, I appreciate that. So, <laughs> so I, now you're going to talk about something that's really passionate. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, as with all, you know, you know, for early 40 somethings who discovered, you know, the, the miracle hockey team from the 1980 Lake Placid Olympics, mm-hmm. um, you know, I discovered it through the movie and, yeah. and, and discovered it through kind of, the the rewriting of that history which was really well done I and mean, i'll i'll defend that movie as probably one of the greatest sporting movies ever made i i would completely agree as authentic and accurate as it was it was a joy to watch and part of that though is you know the high like the head coach herb brooks from university of minnesota um yep. he came at that the development of that team and, and maybe maybe I'm you know this is the way it was portrayed in the, in, this, in the movie at least I don't know how well this is, is done to real life. When it came to to building that Olympic team specifically, he kind of did it in a way that you know really hadn't been done to that point. Um, right. And his leadership in in that building of that team was really just never called into question. He was he just kind of did what he wanted to do, and. And I know that there are, you know, things that you can, there are lines you can come up to and lines you can cross in leadership. And then I think a lot of people would have said he, her Brooks crossed a lot of lines in, in the development of that. In terms of hockey lore, where does her Brooks fall kind of on the spectrum of, you know, great coaches in your, your perspective? Her Brooks was a, he was an amazing coach. Uh, the, the 1980 Olympic team, the way that he coached and motivated that team of, you know, what were our kids at the time and incredible athletes was out of the norm. And, you know, it goes down. I, I, I think it was ESPN many, many years ago that, that said that and did a special on that was the greatest moment in sports history of any mm-hmm. sport. Uh, and to to be able to say that you were the coach of that team uh, is such an accomplishment, you know. But he did, th- you know, he wasn't, uh, uh, you know. You can liken it to technology, I guess, but you know, he didn't make a lot of friends along the way uh, when he recruited that team. You know, his his recruiting style was he he looked for he looked for people first. He looked for people that he knew that were the right type of people for the team. Mm-hmm. And he looked for athletes second. You know, he wanted people with a, a sound value system. And he used to say, you know, you can't buy values. You're only as good as your values. He learned that early on. And he also had quotes that, you know, that I, I like to often refer to that, um, you know, you, you don't put greatness into people, but somehow to try to pull the greatness out of them. Mm-hmm. And as a manager or a coach or a leader, if you can do that with your people, as random as as diverse as they are, then you've succeeded. So, you know, he, he skipped over some extremely talented athletes when he chose that team. Yeah. Uh, that you know went on to have incredible, successful NHL careers. The Olympic Committee and several other several other you know governing bodies at the time, you know they were scratching their heads saying, "Hey, you know there's there's five guys that you looked over on this team that you know you should you should put into play." And he's like, "Nope, 
they're 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 not going to fit into the chemistry and camaraderie of the team. Sorry, I'm not mm-hmm. taking them. So he took a big risk. Uh, people thought he was crazy uh, at the time. So, uh, but boy, did it uh, did it prove to be right. And you know he he was uh, he, he knew what he was getting himself into because he knew the types of people that he had on his team that were they were all lead, they were all leaders in their own way and they all had a common goal in mind and that was to win they certainly proved that i i want to play you uh, part of this this interview with uh, mark johnson from the university of wisconsin who you know has gone on to become you know a great hockey coach in his own right you know leading the the women's team at the university of wisconsin to multiple multiple national championships mm-hmm. this was an interview a few years ago it, where somebody was asking him, I think this was during the 40th anniversary of the Miracle Team. Um, so this was kind of getting getting Mark Johnson's take on Herb Brooks. How was he, Herb Brooks? Herb? Yeah. Did you uh, explain him? And I'm sure you've explained him often. Have you seen the movie? Oh, yeah, I've seen. The movie made him out to be a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so you tell a lot of people today, you know, maybe like, not knowing him or interviewed him, and uh, <laughs> uh, he was a miserable guy the whole time we were with him. I mean, even uh, after we beat the Russians, you get up the next morning and, you know, we're all a bunch of college guys, so you're feeling good about yourself. I mean, you're strutting into practice the next day and it's just like, you're feeling good. Sure. And then Herb comes in the room and it's like, he's as angry and as miserable as I think we've seen him all year. After the Russian game. After the Russian game. And and so we go out to practice and it's like, why is he so mad? Why is he so upset? I mean, we just beat the Russians and so, you know, you step back, I become a coach, and it's like you put yourself in his shoes, you know, and I'm sure he didn't sleep Friday after the game, and he gets up right. Saturday, and it's like, how do we get these guys' attention? For the, for the real, for the Because if you game. screw up Sunday morning yeah. at 11 o'clock against the Finns, you might not even get a medal. So I'm sure for the next 24 hours, he was just like on pins and needles, because as a coach, it's like, how do you bring him back? How do you get him down to earth? And you get one chance. There's no redo, there's no reset. And if you're the coach and you're the leader of the group, that's being thrown on you. And how do I get the team prepared? And so we had a firm practice and he grounded us. Uh, it took us a while for us to get it because after the you know right, second period, we, yeah, you know, we're down against the Finns. Right, exactly. But that was our MO. I mean, most of the games going into the third period, we were down. Yep. And so uh, I'll never forget going in after the second period, and there was uh, it was a calmness. Nobody was nervous. Nobody was concerned. It was like, okay, boys, you know, we've gone through this thing for six months, all the struggles and adversities, dealing with Herb, dealing with that. Uh, we were built for that moment, but we knew what was at stake. And, you know, Herbie came in at the end of the second period and he didn't know what to say, you know, as he's coming in, but he basically just looked at us and says, he says it twice. The first time he says, if you lose this game, you're gonna take it to your effing grave. Walked around, looked back in, and he said it a second time, and it was just like, okay, that's true. You know, it was just a, a process where he was trying to make us play a different way than we were used to. And so we couldn't quite understand it early on, but I think with each player at some point, you know, you have to build trust in the coach. Even though you may not understand what he's doing, at some point you gotta say, okay, this makes a little bit of sense. And then as you build in and you have success over those games, it's like, okay. And then everybody starts to buy in and every, you know, you get to a point where the coach trusts you and you trust the coach, then you got something pretty special. So that, that kind of the way where he ended up there is you, you trust the coach and the coach trusts you. You have this mutual 
trust relationship that has been built. I think that's the thing that the movie specifically shows, like, early on in the development of the team, he's almost quite literally beating these guys to death just in the the amount of physical practice and physical things that they're having to do to just earn their spot on the team. And from the word go, he's he's making himself kind of the focal point of hate. And and just how, you know, he he ends up creating this this crazy dynamic team structure all focused on having all of the players just hate hate him so much. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's not always, you know, a transferable way to do this in, in building teams, but what is your kind of, you know, immediate reaction to hearing Mark Johnson talk about this? Well, he, in my opinion, he was doing that because he was trying to pull the best and the greatest out of them. Because a lot of people forget that once they won, you know, they beat the Russians, I think it was four to three. It was an incredible, incredible accomplishment. Um, and a lot of people forget that they still had to play two days later against the Finns to win the, you know, to win the gold medal, yeah. um, which, you know, is, is like winning the lottery and then saying, well, you know, I, I need to buy another ticket to win another lottery the day after and right. hope that I win two in a row. Um, and what are the chances of that? So, you know, I, I think during the, the process of his coaching, uh, he he was never, and this is this could apply to being a coach of a hockey team. It could apply to being a manager. It could, it could be applied to being a senior executive. You to get the best out of everyone, you can't be everybody's buddy. You you can't be everybody's friend. You need to drive them to ensure in a in a respectful way. Now, now certainly Herb did it in some ways that you know really pissed a lot of people off, players yeah. included. Um, but he but he ended up maximizing the greatness of every player on that team. And he did it through formal coaching at the beginning. Um, And then he did it through what I would call informal coaching at the end. When he made that comment, you'll take this loss to your grave. Mm -hmm. That's him just saying, you guys are where you need to be. This is the last tactic I'm going to tell you. You don't want to live your whole life with this. Yeah. So uh, it was look at that as an informal way to say, you guys need to win this game. Uh, he could have ranted and raved and kicked the trash can and threw things across the room, but he didn't do that. He, he did that at the beginning of the camp and during the tournament, uh, but certainly not at the end because he, he knew that he had maximized his players. Um, and, and he did it in a way that they knew at that point that they could trust him because he was the leader. And that was, there was a clear distinction between the coach and the player. And that goes to to any team, Britain, candidly, whether you're the U.S. Olympic hockey team in 1980 or you're running an IT firm. Uh, you, you have to have people trust that what you're doing can get them to the next level and build greatness because that's that's the only way that the team can succeed over time, Be you know, provide sustained results over time. Uh, it's really hard to do. Uh, but yeah. the great ones, the great ones can do it. There was a huge focus in his early development of the team on conditioning and you know getting ready for this. You know, being able to skate with this team who've been doing this for 15 years. Quote that they kind of buried in one of the training montages is this quote from him where he says, "The legs feed the wolf," and and I think in in terms of like 
day-to-day stuff like what are some of the conditioning things that you help your teams to do to to kind of yeah prepare them to be ready ready all the time because i think that's something you know in a technology leadership space like you know we're always especially you know a company like vmware we're always on the cutting edge we're always trying to learn new stuff how do you encourage your team or how do you enable your teams to stay conditioned in on top of learning all this new stuff all the time because like like yeah like it's really hard to yeah. to go on the hunt if you're not prepared for this stuff yeah i mean one one of the things that i i try to do every day every week every month is just a a a passion and a commitment to continuous learning um what what we do is very complex um the technology that we provide for our customers is is very complex and it solves really big problems regardless of the vertical it um it 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 solves significant problems that our customers are facing today they're not our customers are not going to you're not going to lend any credibility to your customer and they're not going to they're not going to expend any time capital resources unless they truly truly believe what you're saying and selling is accurate and 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 is with integrity um and it can do the things that you're telling them it can do mm-hmm. so and in order for you to 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 be that you have to be the expert so I, I pride myself uh, on helping my team. I do it myself. I mean, I, I try to, to ensure that, you know, when I'm customer facing, uh, I, I'm the expert in the room because I, I want to make sure that they know that I'm credible in what I'm saying and doing and, uh, and positioning with them, whether I'm trying to, you know, save them money or make them money and whether it's through a, you know, a business value or a technology value, whether it's through a TCO or an ROI that we're standing up. Um, it, it needs to be factual and accurate and you need to act with integrity because they'll see right through our customers are super smart mm-hmm. and um, our teams need to be the, they need to be the smartest in the room as well uh, because a customer is not going to spend a million dollars with you if they don't believe what you're saying and they don't believe that the solution that you're providing uh, is real and right and accurate. Um, so the continuous learning piece, at least for us, and we're in an interesting spot with the company because we are specialists and specialists carries a big, uh, it, it's a big name. It's a big, you know, it's, it, it means something. Um, you're not a generalist. You, you need to be the expert in what you're doing. Um, so, and, and you know that as well, as well as I do. I mean, we, you know, we, we speak to and, and support some of the biggest customers that VMware has. Um, so they, right. they, they deserve that and expect that from us. Rob, I, I appreciate the time today. I want to wrap, wrap, start wrapping this up a little bit. In terms of, um, I always try to recommend to go or ask a couple of things. So, do you have any, you know, books or you know, leader, leadership or otherwise that you recommend for recommended reading and follow up? Well, I can tell you this too that I read at least uh, once a year, and I've been doing it for multiple, multiple years. And they're both from an uh, author named Jim Collins. Jim wrote a book back in the early 2000s, actually, when I started uh, my management career. It was called Good to Great. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't a book about the economy, the old economy, the new economy. It wasn't a book about finances or macro or microeconomics. It wasn't about any of that. It was about 
it, it gave, but it gave great examples of, you know, how, how companies went from, you know, being good companies and with, you know, good results to great companies with, you know, hugely sustainable uh, results. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he talks, it's really about leadership. And he talks about this paradigm of level five leaderships. And there's, there's five levels to, to becoming a level five leader. Um, you know, and they, it, it really leans on, you know, what I believe is super important uh, to get to a, a level, level five leader. And that's a sense of personal humility, um, but professional will and discipline um, to, do, to always do what's right for the company. And always do what's right for the team and the people and the employees and your customers. You know, there's a lot going on there. Um, but if you, you know, if, if you keep with those characteristics, um, then you can lead any team through anything. Uh, and I don't care if it's hockey or if it's, you know, technology. Um, and then he had what he called actually a, a, a sequel. It was called Built to Last. Um, I actually believe it's a prequel uh, just because you if you read it you'll you you take the best of what he had in um in good to great and you apply those principles to build to last and it's about continuing sustained results over time so the company that went from good to great can be great over time and there's been multiple examples of that uh, you know especially in technology throughout you know the last 15 20 years so those two books i tell you those if you want to read anything and you want to become a really good leader mm-hmm. um, or, or a really great leader, th- those two books, especially the first one, Good to Great, I think it came out in 2001, but um, it, it, that to me is the epitome of, of leadership. Yeah, I think I read Good to Great back in like 2015 um, while I was still running my own company. And, and yeah, there, there was a lot of just really good information. I, start, I, think, I think I started reading Built to Last because it, it came out, you know, yeah, uh, like many years after Good to Great did, yeah. but yeah. I, and I don't, I don't think I got could get like I think Built to Last was almost more of a statistical analysis, like a deeper right. dive That's of right. of those. So that one, that one was harder for me to get through. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to kind of have some patience with that one. But uh, yeah. but no, I agree. Yeah. There's one, there's a there's a quote in there from um, I think it was from Harry Harry Truman that said, um. You can accomplish anything in life if you don't mind who gets the credit for it. Mm-hmm. So, to me, I, I and there's multiple concepts like that. There's concepts of windows and mirrors, right? Uh, this I'm not going to give away the secrets. It's a great book. You should you should definitely you know if you if you want to get into leadership and excel deep into leadership. To me, that's that's one of the better ones on the market. Cool. Well, Rob, thank you again for the time, sir. And I think this has been really good and informative and, and anytime i get a chance to sit down and talk hockey with you it's always going to be fun so it's been a pleasure thanks for having me thanks rob 38 37 seconds left in the game petrov with it the americans on top four to three long shot craig able to get a piece of it to sweep it away 28 seconds the crowd going insane carlemont 